Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strebel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Now you see, Daniel had requested of, uh, of Melzer that let me let me just drink what I want. Let me live on uh, on puff. Let me have my food. I don't want the wine. And he says, "Well, now then, I've been commanded to give you this. Here's here's your supper. This is your meat. This is your diet. And I'm I, and I I'm supposed to see to it that you eat it. And now then, you've asked me to go against my king." And if he sees you eating that when I'm supposed to be giving you this, then he says, my head's in danger. All right? So, uh... They didn't think anything about cutting a man's head off, did they? No, no. It didn't, it didn't bother him. Then said Daniel to Melzer, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel said to improve thy servant. I beseech thee ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children uh, that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzer took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulp. Now you notice that he, he did that on his own. He, uh, he was still sticking his neck out. As for the four children, God, now notice this, this answers the critics of where did Daniel get his wisdom? They said he, he wasn't a wise man. Well, in uh, Ezekiel also, you'll find that uh, uh, in one of his uh, uh, words to Tyra, uh, that what about the wisdom of Tyre, shall, uh, wisdom of Daniel? Hath the king of Tyre more wisdom than Daniel? So the Bible elsewhere vindicates every charge and proves that every charge against that's been brought against the book of Daniel uh, is uh, that that these charges are false. Now, uh, I, I didn't finish. I don't think. I think I said a while ago that the critics brought uh, four charges. The charges against the book of Daniel are historical errors. Uh, the language. Now, when he mentions the the uh, six kinds of uh, Musical instruments, 
Three of them are in the Greek language. And these uh, professional critics, they say, oh, oh, look at that. There's a Greek word there in the book of Daniel. It couldn't have been written in, 600, in 500 uh, B.C. It had to wait till Alexander had come to Babylon, see, to bring the Greek language into prominence down here. And they uh, uh, they use that. But the the three, the harp, the flute, and the dulcimer, the language is the same, they tell us, or that I'm told, in uh, the different languages, that a piano is a piano, wherever it is. A harp is a harp, whether it's in Germany or England or America or Greece or Italy or where, see. But anyway, that's the basis on which they object to it. And then uh, they object on the basis of prophecy. Now, the second chapter of Daniel, the seventh chapter of Daniel, and the eighth chapter of Daniel and the eleventh chapter, they describe so minutely future events, and even the, the liberal admits that, well, now, if, if it was written then, that would have been prophecy. But they say it's somebody that had lived after it had become history and wrote it under the guise of prophecy. And they said that was some pious Jew that did that. Well, he wouldn't be very pious if he tried to deceive uh, the people uh, like that, would he? And then the then the other uh, basis for the objection to the book of Daniel is doctrinal grounds on, on the basis of its doctrine. Uh, they say that it's ahead of its time. Nowhere in the Old Testament do you find the doctrine of the resurrection taught as it's taught in the book of Daniel. See? Daniel 12 tells us uh, about the resurrection of the just and of the unjust. See? And they say that that nobody wrote in the terms of the resurrection in that manner until 200 years before, uh, before Christ. And that gets it down below 165 B.C. in the days of Epiphany. Now, uh, the uh, other doctrine is the doctrine of angels. Say, oh, boy, these liberals, they, they can't stand the, the doctrine of angels. Well, uh, Daniel said to the king, uh, that God has sent his angels, see, uh, to deliver it. And then you have, uh, uh, in several places, uh, 6th chapter, 8th chapter, ninth, 10th chapter, and the 12th chapter, you have the angels referred to in the book of Daniel. All right, but here's the point. If, if the angels, uh, if that disqualifies the book of Daniel, then uh, the angel that appeared to Abraham would disqualify the book of Genesis. Because an angel appeared to, uh, to Abraham, see? And uh, a angels appeared to Jacob. God's presence in angelic form went before Moses down into Egypt. The angels appeared, did wondrously, according to judges, you know, about Manoah. And uh, uh, the... 
and, and you come on down in the New Testament, why angels uh, rolled the stone away and then sat on it. And angels came and ministered to Jesus in the wilderness. Well, I'm in temptation. Well, now, if there's no angels in, in Genesis, there's no angels in, in Luke. There's no angels. Angels appeared to Zacharias and, and told him about the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, didn't he? And then you take the two angels mentioned by name, Gabriel and Michael are mentioned. And, uh, they're mentioned in, in Daniel. They're mentioned in Luke, appearing to uh, uh, Mary, you see. Now, if if Gabriel didn't appear then, he didn't appear here. If he appeared here, what's wrong? Uh, what's wrong with it? Uh, with it being in the Book of Daniel, you see. But they say that that language, the doctrine of angel, angelology, and its development was a uh, much uh, later revelation. God didn't reveal it at that time. And uh, uh, angels appeared uh, back uh, and defeated the Assyrians. Uh, 185,000 died. You know. Well, so that's the four bases of attacks on the book of Daniel. It's based on history. It's based on, on the different language in which this book is written. It's based on prophecies saying that uh, Daniel couldn't have foretold these events. And then it's the doctrine of the book of Daniel is too high. It's of, uh, it, the, the doctrine wasn't revealed, what he speaks about wasn't revealed until later. Well now this book of Daniel, instead of ending with, uh, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, it tells us about the Messiah being cut off. It tells us about Jesus coming. It tells about his death, see. It tells about uh, uh, reconciliation for sin. It tells about uh, the sanctuary. And uh, so, uh, instead of ending with Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, it goes on till the second coming of Christ, till Christ shall come back. Yeah, that, that's that's how far Daniel goes. All right, then uh, as for the four children, God gave them knowledge. That answers and skill in all learning and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Now that's a gift of God. See. Now, you talk about, they talk about, and God gave, uh, certain gifts, no matter where in the 13th, 14th chapter of 1st Corinthians. Why, uh, they were recipients of that gift long before that, see. Now, at the end of the days, now, with reference to vision and dreams, now, uh, you'll notice, uh, you ought to notice those two words here and the way it's used in Daniel. A dream is something that originates within man. It's man's uh, thoughts. It comes from him. Vision is something that originates with God. You see? And uh, in the first six chapters of Daniel, you have 
history. You have the history of Nebuchadnezzar. You have the history of Belshazzar. You have the history of Darius and Cyrus. And in all of these, uh, in the first six chapters, you have dreams. Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream. He dreamed, had another dream, he had another dream, see. And he departs out of the book of Daniel with a dream and the result of that dream. Daniel uh, giving the interpretation to it. But then you get over in uh, uh, beginning with the seventh chapter of Daniel and Daniel didn't have a dream. Daniel had a vision. The vision came to Daniel in the third year of Belshazzar. See? In other words, God gave Daniel visions. It originated in heaven. It originated with God. God gave uh, uh, permitted Daniel to have visions, but he gave dreams to Nebuchadnezzar. See? There's a difference in the, uh, in, you might say, the quality uh, of, of the thing. And yet, the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and the visions of Daniel, Daniel's visions was an enlargement and a refinement of Daniel, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. It was additions. And you'll find they cover the same territory. Now the whole purpose of, uh, uh, of, the, of this first chapter is the first chapter of Daniel is introductory, but, uh, the whole, uh, the whole matter, uh, of, is, is born out in the fourth chapter. Let's see, verse four, look at verse seventeen. Now here's the whole purpose of it, where we're getting. The matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the basest of men. Now, uh, verse 17 tells you that whatever God does, it's right, and God has a right to do whatever he does. In other words, the sovereignty of God uh, is what man's got to realize, and that's what the book of Daniel is all about. Look at verse uh, 25. Uh, Beginning down about the last two clauses. Till thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. That's the latter portion of verse 25. God's still doing that, you think? Yeah, verse, yes, sir. Verse 34. Now look at verse 34. Uh, same chapter. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me, and I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. And all inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven, and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? And then Nebuchadnezzar bows out of the book of 
history in verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Brother, he learned the lesson, didn't he? And that was his conclusion. All right, now, now here's another thing about uh, uh, the way that this book opens. In verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, under Jerusalem, and besieged it. Now, that's all said about it. Now, if that had been a modern-day reporter giving you the history of a king... Uh, of, of of Washington. Now suppose Washington was invaded. Suppose the Russians had come over here. You think there'd just been one sentence appear in the morning's headline about the king of Russia uh, coming into Washington? Why well, man, it had been blown up and made and all sort of things. But the calmness of this matter shows that uh, that uh, proves the uh, truthfulness of the thing. That that it's true. That it bears. It, it, it's internal evidence. The, the the very expression of it is not only common sense, but it's uh, it shows that he's not trying to to blow up something. He's not trying to be the uh, the reporter. Is not trying to be uh, the chief uh, in the deal. He's simply Daniel is just simply telling the facts in calm, simple. Uh, Matter. And, uh, well, uh, in verse 18, now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in, then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Now, three years has already taken place. See? Uh, we done had, we done, uh, we done got, uh, Daniel and the three Hebrew boys, they, they done, Got their sheepskin. They they went to school in three years. Over here, see? In verse 5 of chapter 1, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, notice in 19. See? Uh, verse 18. Then the prince of the eunuchs brought them in before the king, before Nebuchadnezzar. See, that's the end of those days, the end of three years. They, they done, uh, God had already given wisdom. There's already a given understanding and the ability to learn whatever, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's teachers, professors had for him because he was schooled, he was in science, in the language of the Chaldeans. See, they, they were the astronomers and the astrologers of the day. They studied the stars. They knew a lot about them, a lot more about them than, than, than we know today. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, what does the Scripture say? The wise men in the east saw the star in the west. And they knew that the king had been born. Where did they get that information? See? Daniel... God had given Daniel uh, uh, this wisdom, and Daniel was the head. He had been. He, he he later was appointed the chief of the wise men of Babylon, of the east. 
the Persians, the Babylonians, the, they, they, they got their training and teaching from Daniel. That's how God imparted his knowledge over there. They didn't need uh, somebody to run over and tell them uh, right out of, uh, right, uh, from the day that it happened. God was able to tell, uh, to put within uh, the minds of these wise Chaldeans, these the, uh, wise men, you see, uh, so that when he was born, he'd be recognized. And that's why they came, these uh, 700 miles uh, or more. Had to go up the Euphrates and then down. And uh, the, the Bible puts it as two years, see, uh, from the time, you know, Herod, uh, when Herod, uh, wanted to know just when the star appeared, and after he inquired diligently from the wise men, uh, he said that, uh, uh, then he fixed the punishment upon the boy babies, the male boy, uh, male children, from two years and under from the time which they diligently inquired of the wise men, of the time when they saw the star. In other words, they were nearly two years uh, in making the journey from the time they saw the star till they came. And when they came, they they didn't find the manger, Jesus in the in the crib, but they found a young child. See, and uh, so uh, so that just shows you, and that's where I think, and I think this is the background uh, of to understand uh, the birth of Jesus with reference to those signs and the wise men I think that uh, I think Daniel is the background for that and that's where we get our first intimation uh, and must be interpreted in that light now at the end of the days that the king had said he should bring them in then the prince of the eunuch brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar in other words they're stand before him they getting uh, he's gonna he's gonna uh, give them the tossle now, see. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none. Now notice it wasn't just it wasn't just Daniel, Hananiah, and Azariah, uh, uh, and Mishael, but there were other the Chaldeans, there uh, his own his own scholars, his own prospects that were teaching the science. They were included in this same class. They in there were Daniel. But now then it says, And in all matters of wisdom and understanding that the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Now, if there's any room for advancement, there's any room for learning, still learning. Daniel here now, just after they finished the first three years, say he's only about 23 years old now. And uh, he lives, uh, Nebuchadnezzar reigns for 45, and the kingdom lasts for 73 for, uh, years. So, And Daniel outlived the Babylonian Empire. He was still reigning and ruling and recognized as uh, as, an, uh, as a prime minister like Joseph 
even after uh, the Medes, when Cyrus came and took over, you see. Well, uh, so Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Now that uh, verse uh, tells us, uh, I mean, it's just added there to show uh, how long uh, uh, that, uh, that, that since this is an introduction, it tells his uh, it tells his entry to Babylon, it tells his early days, tells how he resisted the uh, the uh, uh, king's special privileges, and he just wanted to be treated, live on a simple diet like Elijah and John the Baptist, uh, and after having done so, uh, they were, even the king pronounced them ten times better than all, than any in his land, in all of his realm. And brother, that included, uh, that included all the way up the Mesopotamia. That included Egypt because his authority was over Egypt. Wherever these, whenever a kingdom in ancient times, whenever they uh, uh, exerted their power, whenever they showed their supremacy and they couldn't uh, revolt against it, well then they recognized that they were uh, their servants, you see, and that's all they had to do. That's the way they extended their kingdom, their territory. They didn't have to go down there and of course they did. They kept uh, they kept units uh, wherever they thought there might be an outbreak or trouble. That's why you read in the New Testament. You read about uh, uh, the city of Philippi, where Paul went. Paul and Silas uh, went, you know, to preach the gospel. Well, the the Philippi was a, a Roman uh, a colony. It was a place where there was uh, it, it was. Uh, the the population was government. In other words, it was so nothing but soldiers. Very few civilians there, just enough to carry on commerce and trade. Uh, but that was a very important uh, uh, town. Well, uh, there's different uh, there's different uh, cities throughout Asia Minor that was the same way because of the. Uh, that the cities were beneficial for the time of war. Well, now I tell you what, let's all right. Now we that's the first chapter. We can going, start right there. Yeah. Right there. All right. Been talking. I don't yeah. know where you are. Well, if I knew it gone, I, I don't know where you. Anything else you want to say? We'll let it run on out there. I see that. That's really interesting. I appreciate everything you said. Well, now that's uh, of course you still. A lot in Jeremiah now. I mean, if you really want to uh, get this picture real good, you need to study everything in, in Jeremiah that pertains to Babylon. See, there's more said in the Bible about Nebuchadnezzar than any other heathen king uh, in, uh, in the world that's ever lived. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord.